Do me a favor and turn to your neighbor and tell them what your favorite subject was in either middle school or high school. Go ahead and tell them. Just go ahead and have a discussion. Hold on. Hey, hey, I didn't say discuss your entire middle school career. I just said favorite subject. Mine was uh, history. Any history people? Yeah, yeah. Mine was... My was history, I loved it, and this is the way that I operated in school. If I was interested, I would, I would do well, and if I wasn't interested, I, would, I wouldn't do well. So when it came to science, I wasn't interested. I just wasn't interested. I mean, when we dissected the worm, not interested. Dissected the frog, not interested. Dissected the rat, that was fun. I, there's another story that goes along with that, but I just, I just never was really interested in science, and so... In the eighth grade, now isn't it funny how you can remember stuff like this? I was 13 years old, eighth grade. We got our, we took our science test. Miss Allen was my eighth grade science teacher. She gives the test, and I, of course I didn't study for it because, it, I mean, it's science. Um, I did like the movie Weird Science because Kelly LeBrock was hot. Anyway, so I, um, some, of you, some of you don't know, and that's, that's fine, but for those of you that do know, am I right or am I right? I'm right, thank you. So I, uh, I got back my first science test, and I made a 56. Now, it's not, listen, if I'm running for an election, and I win 56% of the vote, I win. And so I'm just trying to find the bright spot in everything. And so um, I was, I was kind of bummed about it, but, you know, it's like a, I, I was used to making some bad grades until Miss Allen said. Now, this, this used to happen back in the day. I don't know if it happens today. She said, um, I've got a tradition that your first test you have to take it home and get it signed by your parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I was not a good kid. Like, I, I, I broke all the rules, but the one thing I would not do is forge my father's signature because my dad put the fear of God in me and told me if I ever did that, he would, well, I can't even say it at second chance. Like, like it, it would be bad. And so I, I was horrified because I had to take it. I had to let him sign it. Um, so you had to wait for just the right time. So I waited one night. He had had a beer at 12, and I decided to just kind of slide it in and say, you know, we got to get this thing signed. And he was like, what is this? And I was like, well, it's a, like it's a, it's a 56, but I mean, I mean, it's not bad. I mean, I know another kid that made a 42, like, because you always throw somebody else under the bus, and then you're not as bad. And uh, he didn't say anything about it that night, but two nights later, um, he let me know that that was unacceptable. Let's just put it that way. And so, um, because of the motivation he gave me, um, I did better. But every nine weeks, and once again, this is how we did it back in the day. I don't know how they do it today. Every nine weeks, you got a report card. Um, you couldn't go online and check your kid's grade. You actually had to wait till they sent it home. So the first nine weeks of every school year, I had a lot of freedom, and after that, out the window. So um, every nine weeks, we got a report card, and you had to take it home. Your parents had to sign it. So I got my report card, and uh, I had an A in science. Now, that, that sounds good, except for me, I was, I was petrified because I'm like, there's no way this is right. Because I did do good for the rest of, I mean, I did good for the rest of the year. I wound up making an A in science that year. But there's, we had only had three tests. And if you took the average of all three tests with a 56, there's, the best I could have done was a C plus or a B minus. And so I remember going to Miss Allen because my dad was, I mean, he was going to put two and two together, and he was going to accuse me of changing a grade, which I never changed a grade. I never, I never did that. Um, so I went to Miss Allen, and I was like, Miss Allen, um, 
Like, I got an A. She's like, I know, I'm so proud of you. I was like, yeah, here's the thing. That, that 56, and I kind of explained to her, you know, because sometimes middle schoolers have to explain things to adults because adults don't understand. So I explained to her the math, and, she, I, and I said, the 56 doesn't allow me to make an A. And she said, the 56? I said, yeah, that's what I made on my first test. She goes, oh, I took that out. I was like, you, you did what? She said, I took, the, I took it out. It was your lowest grade. I was like, like, am I special, or did you do that for everybody? She said, no, 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 I take everybody's lowest grade out. She said, your lowest grade every nine weeks. She said, I take it out. I was like, why couldn't have you told this at the beginning of the year? I mean, like, I went through all this. But she said, I take the lowest grade out. And so because she took it out. See, if she wouldn't have taken that grade out, I couldn't have made an A. She, she took something. Listen, I made the 56. I deserved the 56. But because of her, her grace and her mercy, she took it out. Now, the reason I said all that was to say that there's somebody here today. Maybe you're in the room or maybe you're watching online. That you've kind of, uh, you've made a 56 at some point in your life. You, there's, there's something in your life, whether it was an event or a season, and anytime you think about it, it drags you down and holds you back. And God wants me to let somebody here to know, know today, he took it out. See, it was meant it was, it was actually sent from the enemy to take you out. But because of Jesus and his grace and his mercy, he took out what was meant to take you out in the first play, place. And he's got, he still has immeasurably more. One of, the, one of the things that we seem to not understand, and when I say we, I put myself in this boat too, is we think at some point because we fell down, messed up, and screwed up royally, that it means somehow, for some reason, anything we're going to receive in the future is the best we can do as a second-class citizen in heaven. But there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom. So for those of you that feel like you're not qualified or not good enough or you're overwhelmed by the past in Christ, God took it out. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show it to you. I'm going to show it to you by... by we're just going to talk about three Bible characters really quick today. And if you grew up in church, you, you've heard of these Bible characters, but you've probably never heard this side of their story. The reason you never heard this side of their story is because it's messy. And we like to scrub and sanitize things sometimes in church. But we're not going to scrub it. We're not going to sanitize it. And the more churched you are, the more disturbed you're going to be. But you're going to be disturbed at the Scriptures. So if you're going to be mad, just take it up with God, all right? The first person we're going to talk about is a guy named Noah. Now, Noah is famous because Noah built an ark. Okay, now I've had people ask um, for years, do you think Noah was a real person? Yes. I don't think it was an allegory or a metaphor. I think Noah was a real person. And I don't think Noah was a real person because it says so in the book of Genesis. I think Noah was a real person because Jesus referred to Noah and anybody that can predict his death and resurrection and then pull it off, I'm just going to go with what he says. So Jesus said Noah was a real person, so I'm going to go with Noah was a real person. So Noah builds, builds an Okay, he builds an ark, and he's on, his, he's on it because God shows up and he tells Noah, got some good news, got some bad news. Noah's like, give me the bad news first. God said, I'm killing everybody. 
By the way, this is, we tell our kids this story. Once upon a time, God killed everybody. Like, like that, that's a horrifying thing. And Noah was like, you got some good news? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to spare you. Oh, that is great news. What I got to do, build a boat? Okay. It's a boat. Because he didn't know what a boat was because he wasn't even close to water. So he builds a boat, and then he gets on the boat, and it rains for 40 days and 40 nights. But what we don't understand sometimes, and it took, I had to dive into this, Noah was on the boat for over a year. Can you imagine being stuck with your family <laughs> on a boat with all the animals for over a year? Would, 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 that, would that cause anyone in this room to slightly go crazy? I mean, on family vacation, it's good for about the first day. But on day two, like, you're trying, I got to go to the store. What you got to get? Anything? Just something. I don't know. I, I got to get away from you. That's what I got to get. So, so Noah is on a boat for over a year, and when he finally gets off the boat, this is, this, I, once again, it's disturbing. What I'm about to read you doesn't appear in a children's Bible anywhere, I just, it, but it's in the Bible. Here we go. Genesis chapter 9, verse 20. After the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground, and he planted a vineyard. That's legit. Like, I feel good when I get, like, a fake plant and hang it in my house. Noah planted a vineyard. And I think the reason he planted a vineyard is he's trying to get away from his family, right? He didn't just plant a tree. You plant a tree? No, I'm going to plant a whole vineyard. We're going to plant. We're going to get some wine tours set up. It's going to be great. It's going to take me 4.8 thousand years to do this. So, y'all, I mean, just, so he's planting a vineyard. But I want, you, I want to show you, when he, when he planted the vineyard, he had a plan. I believe he had a plan. What was his plan, Pastor Pete? I'm so glad you asked. This is the next verse. It's so disturbing. One day he drank some wine he had made. So he's a bootlegger. <laughs> and he became drunk and lay naked inside his tent. Children's Bible, anybody? Sunday school lesson? We're going to color this picture today. <laughs> Honey, I do not think this is the church for us. <laughs> now, to my Baptist friends who say, no, you've heard this. Well, the wine in the Bible isn't like the wine of the day because in the Bible, the wine didn't get people drunk. And so it was just really grape juice when it talks about wine in the Bible. <laughs> Explain that, right? You, you need to put down the wine. Well, you need to put down the biscuit, all right? And we, we talk about that another, another message another time. Don't, I'm trying not to get sidetracked. But we can all agree, we can all agree in the room that this is not Noah's finest moment. Yes or no? Yeah, I mean, this is, he's drunk and naked. Drunk and naked. Drunk and naked. Which some of you, that was your spring break. Drunk and naked. That was, some of you, that was last week. Drunk and naked. This is 1130. Some of y'all, this was yesterday. Drunk and naked, right? This is, this is in the Bible. Noah is drunk and naked, and, and, and it can't get any worse, can it? Oh, yes, it can. Yes, it can. Watch this. 
Ham, the father of Canaan, pause. If you're looking for a name for a child, don't name him Ham. It's, it's just bad, right? Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. Then Shem and Japheth took a robe, held it over the shoulders, and backed into the tent to cover their father. As they did, they looked the other way so they wouldn't see him naked. Now, I, I don't know what happened here. Scholars disagree. Like, there's all sorts of things of what could have Ham have done. Like, he, did he look at his father? Did something, I, listen, I don't know. This is what I do know. When Noah woke up, he was pissed off. I'll prove it to you. When Noah woke up from his stupor, because <laughs> that, that grape juice, right? When he woke up from his stupor, he learned what Ham, his youngest son, had done. Then he cursed Canaan, the son of Ham. So you got drunk, naked, and cussing. Drunk, naked, and cussing. This guy don't get hired in most churches, but he's a hero in the Bible. He's cussing everybody out. He just, he's like, he cursed Canaan, the son of Ham, which is his grand, and, 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 and his grandson didn't do anything, but he's just waking up. He's he like, I got the hangover thing going on. May Canaan be cursed. May the lowest of his servants to his relatives. And then Noah said, may the Lord, the, the God of Shem, be blessed, and may Canaan be a servant. May God expand the territory of Japheth. May Japheth share the prosperity of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. Like he is going off. And then after this, after this, this is how the story ends. Have you ever been to a movie or watched a TV series and you just hated the ending? Like the ending was horrible, like lost, like that was the worst ending ever. Like I wept when that season was o- when it was over because I was like, I'll never get that time back in my life. It was invested. Now, anyway, so, so this, is, this is how it ends. Noah, great man of faith, builds a boat, saves the world, plants a vineyard, gets drunk, naked, cusses. And then Noah lived another 350 years after the great flood. He lived 950 years, and then he died. <laughs> like that's it? Yeah, he so the last thing we hear about Noah in the Old Testament was this story that we don't hear in churches, but it happened, drunk, naked, cussing Noah. Then we go to a guy named Abraham. You ever heard of Abraham? Father Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons. Abram was known as a man of faith because God said, Abram, I want you to leave here. I want you to go to the land where I'll show you. Well, where is, I'll show you when you get there. See, right there, I'm out. Because I'm like, God, I need some like, directions, and I need, I'm, like, what do you want? And what's the weather going to be like? Because we've got to pack. I mean, like, he just had, he, God just told him to go to the land of Canaan. Basically, he wound up in the land of Canaan. God told him to go there, and he goes. And we, we know this great story about Abraham, but there's a part of the story that nobody really talks about, and I'm going to tell you why. It's disturbing. It's even disturbing to teach on. Here we go. At that time, so they got to Canaan. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt. So, really quick question. I'm not trying to trick anybody. Did he stay in Canaan, yes or no? No, he went to Egypt. So he goes to Egypt, right? Where he lived as a foreigner. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, watch what he does here. Watch, watch this, watch this. Sarah, look, 
you are a very beautiful woman. Now, if he had to stop right there, it'd be good. But here's the problem. And if we're not careful, we can just skip right over this. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him. Then we can have her. So please tell them, you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. Now, let me tell you what's going on in the text. It's highly uncomfortable, but it happened. He's basically telling Sarah, I've got a business proposition. I'm going to be your pimp. Because he, he, in this text, and in another text later on in Genesis, he whores his wife out to the Egyptians. Good man. Good husband. Got, sound awesome. It, like match.com, yes, hook me up with that guy right there. No. This is Abraham, the man of faith, and he tells Sarah, I got a great idea I'm trying to protect me. And, and by the way, the Egyptians gave him, like, possessions and money and animals. Like, he, he got all this stuff. But, but you've never heard, you probably never heard this talked about in church. And, and just to kind of make it even, because, like, the men are like, oh, man, I feel really beat up. What about the women? Well, let's talk about Sarah for just a second. Let's talk about Sarah. Watch what happens to her, Okay. Now, to be fair, she was about 86 when God told her and Abram they're going to have a kid. 86, you're not planning your kid. You're planning retirement, right? You got your Robin Hood app, and then that, that went crazy. So anyway, you're, you're planning retirement, and in 13 years, she still hadn't had a kid. And so she doubted, which every single person in this room, if you're honest, would say there's at least been a moment in your life that you doubted God. This week. Watch what she does, though. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. So right here you have Jerry Springer and the scriptures holding hands, right? <laughs> Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. Why did Abram do it? Because he's a man. I'm just doing what you told me to do, right? Now watch what happens. This is where it gets crazy. So Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as wife. This happened 10 years after Abram settled in the land of Canaan. What did they do, Pastor P? I'm glad you asked. So Abram has sexual relations. Sherman going to have relations. Sherman going to have relations. Anyway, so sexual relations with Hagar. It's in the Bible. I'm just reading the Bible. I'm just reading the Bible. A little nutty professor in there, but I'm reading the Bible, all right? And she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarah, with contempt. Then Sarah said to Abraham, this is all your fault. Men, anybody identify? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. I'm just saying. <laughs> Whose idea was it? 
Sarah, and she's blaming it on, because that's what we do sometimes. We just blame it on other people. This is all your fault. I put my servant in your arms. Now she's pregnant. She treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. So here's, here's a question. It's an easy question. Did Sarah have faith to believe that God was going to fulfill the promise through her, yes or no? No. No. So we just, we just read about drunk, naked, cussing Noah, the pimp Abraham, and the, the, the wife who, who had no faith. Can we all agree that these are messed up people, yes or no? By the way, that's all there are in the world is messed up people. That's all there is. Shannon and I were taking um, a, a picture the other night. You know how you do the little pictures? You're like, okay, no, I don't like that. No, I don't like that. No, I don't like that. And, and, and then when we finally got the one, she's like, put a filter on it. I was like, I don't, I, I don't know how to put a filter on it. She goes, oh, no. She, and they, they, I, did y'all, I didn't know about filters. And she was like, put, she's like, you make it look better. You can make it look better. And when she got done, she said, she said, you didn't know how to use filters? I was like, I know, but I work with, I've been around church people who've been using filters for years. If you put a filter on it, it doesn't make you don't look as bad, right? And I, I'm don't don't miss this. I'm gonna tell you why we filter it next week. I'm gonna tell you why. There's a there's a really good reason. I'm gonna tell you why we we filter out stuff, but we filter out stuff like this so we don't look bad. But what I love about the Bible is it takes all of our heroes, and it shows us as we read the scriptures. There's only one hero in the Bible. His name is Jesus. Everybody else is just as messed up as we are in this room. David was a man after God's own heart. You mean the guy that committed adultery and murder? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're all messed up. So we see the Old Testament. But when we get in the New Testament, there's a book in the New Testament called Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 11, that's, called, that's commonly referred to as the Faith Hall of Fame, it talks about Noah, Abram, and Sarah. Let's look at what the Bible says in the New Testament about these three people that we just read and are incredibly messed up. Here we go. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By, by his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. That's all it says about Noah. Now, if I'm in a classroom, and God is teaching the classroom, and he says this about Noah, and he moves on, I'm like, hold on, hold on. I just, um, I got a, I just got a question. Yeah, Perry, what's your question? What about drunk, naked, cussing Noah? And God would say, I just took that out. Took it out. I mean, it happened. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm not saying it wasn't bad. But that was the old. And in the new, it got taken out. Okay, okay, next. It's a good answer, God. Yay, God. <laughs> like he needs our approval. God said, okay, now I'm going to tell you about Abraham. Now I'm going to tell you about Abram. Here we go. It was by faith that Abram obeyed God when he called him to leave his home and go to another land that God would give him as it is inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. But did he? Or did he leave and go to Egypt? That, huh, it's not in the story. But it happened, but it's not in the story. For he was like a foreigner. He lived in tents, and so did Isaac and Jacob who inherited the same promise. Abram was confidently looking forward to a city 
with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God, and then God moves on. And, and you're in the class going, I, I, uh, just, I, I got another question. Yeah, Perry, what's your question? Uh, what about the whole pimping his wife out thing? God goes, yeah, I took it out. It happened. It happened in the old. But in the new, it, it's just taken out. Okay, great answer. Can't wait to see what you say about Sarah. Very next verse. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child. Though she was barren and, she, and was too old, she believed that God would keep his promise. Did she? Or did she doubt? And did she not just doubt, but did she get her husband that, like, it's messed up, right? But Hebrews says, and so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. A nation with so many people that, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there was no, there's no way to count them. Okay, God, just, <clears throat> I am so sorry. I'm going to interrupt one more time. Um, what, what about, like, the whole thing with Hagar and Hazel? God goes, oh, yeah, 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 I took it out. Took it out. It happened. But what happened to Noah doesn't define him. And what happened to Abram doesn't define him. What happened to Sarah doesn't define him. Because if you're in Christ, what defeated you in your past does not get to define you in your future. Not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. Period. They're, 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 the, difference, the difference is old and new. Old and new. Old and new. In Genesis, all three stories that we read came out of Genesis about Noah, Abram, and Sarah. That's the old. In the new, the old was taken out. It's the same thing for each one of us. The old is the best we could do on our own. The new is who we are in Christ. And with Jesus Christ living in us, the fact that he was crucified and rose from the dead means that you and I can rise up from any situation that comes against us or any situation that has held us down for far too long. God wants somebody here to know today that that thing that haunts you, he took it out. Jesus took it out. It's it's basically boils down to three main words. The first word is judgment, and we all know what that is. Judgment is when you get what you deserve. For example, how many of you have ever gotten a speeding ticket? Raise your hand. Speeding ticket? Speeding, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, 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 good. Lots of speeders. Um, my first speeding ticket, uh, for those of you that live in Anderson, was on March Banks Road. You've probably gotten one there, too. Uh, I was doing 52 and a 30. I got pulled over, and the officer was like, you know why I pulled you over? I was like, because you want a donut? I, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I thought, I thought it, though. Um, I was like, well, I guess I was, I was going too fast, and I'm so sorry. He goes, yep, you were. Wrote the ticket, never blinked, just handed it to me, and I had to pay the fine. The fine was 100 bucks. 100 bucks. I got what I deserved. That's what judgment is, is when you get what you deserve. 
Now, what we deserve for sin ultimately is death. And there are some people that are like, well, I don't agree with judgment. Ah, we kind of do. Like, if somebody hurt one of your children, would you be, would you be like, oh, yeah, we can't judge them. We don't know what kind of, no, 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 no. It's, it's like, get for, don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness, right? So, so judgment is what we deserve. Judgment. In the story of the prodigal son, when the son left home, when he comes back, According to the Old Testament, the prodigal son should have been stoned, should have been killed. He, that was what he deserved. But then there's this thing called mercy. And mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. So mercy would be like me taking the ticket to the courthouse and the judge looking at me going, did you, did you go 52 and a 30? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I did. Bangs the gavel and says, you don't have to pay. That's mercy. Mercy is when we don't have to pay for what we know we did wrong. But then there's grace. And grace would be the judge not only saying you don't have to pay, but then throwing a party for us because we were even in the courtroom. How insane would that be? But that's what happened to the prodigal son. The prodigal son leaves home and deserves the judgment. I mean, he, does, he, he got what was coming to him. Walk away from the father, it's eventually all going to unravel. Mercy is the father letting him come home. Grace is the father throwing him a party. See, Jesus doesn't want to just forgive us. He wants to celebrate us. and He wants us to live an abundant life. So I'll say it again. Second chances do not mean second class. Because if he can forgive Noah, and he can forgive Abraham, and he can forgive Sarah, and he can forgive me, and he can forgive you. The reason I said all that is basically to say, that's the reason we started this church and that's the reason we have this house. It's for people who, like if you walked in and you're looking around and you're like, there's some messy people in here. You're right. That's the kind of church I've always wanted because that's the kind of, like, and, and by the way, I'm the messiest in the room. If, if you want a perfect place with perfect people, we are not your church. <laughs> We're not. But we really do believe what the scriptures say in Proverbs 24, 16. For though the righteous fall seven times. That's a little bizarre. If I see somebody fall down one time, well, that's weird. Gets back up, walks a few steps, falls down again. Get out my camera. <laughs> Throwing this on the ground. Like, third time. This is... So, seven times. For though the righteous fall. See, the fact that you've fallen at some point in your life doesn't mean you're unrighteous. It just confirms that you're human. My hope and prayer when we started this house was to create an environment where fallen people can just get back up again. And the reason I wanted to create an environment where fallen people 
could get back up again is because that's my story. I fell hard. No excuses. But by God's grace, I'm still learning how to get back up. Which is why, before we do what we do at the end, I, I wrote a letter. And the reason I wrote a letter is because I knew I couldn't keep it straight in my mind. And I just want to read it to you. Because on our two-year anniversary, you know, I get a lot of pats on the back going, great job, but it's not me. <laughs> it's not me. So here we go. Dear Second Chance family. Thank you for allowing me a second chance to be a pastor, your pastor. I would have never imagined in a million years the journey Jesus has had me on over the past five years. And while I've experienced brokenness, shame, and a complete loss of confidence, I've also been reminded that God is good and really can use all things for good. He has shown me grace in ways I could have never imagined. And so have each one of you. He has allowed me to have increasing levels of compassion for others because of his and your compassion for me. He has shown me, and I hope he shows to each one of us here today that a second chance does not mean second class, but rather an opportunity for the fallen to get back up and keep moving forward. He's allowed me to start a church that I truly love, a church that opens its doors for sex addicts, shopaholics, control freaks, adulterers, blame shifters, gossips, alcoholics, liars, narcissists, worry warts, the selfish, the angry, the arrogant, you, me. He has reminded me that Jesus came for fallen people who fail because fallen people who fail are all that there are. If you are here and as you look back over your life, you think you have failed and are somehow less than, you're wrong. In Christ, you are forgiven. Your life has meaning. You have purpose. Jesus is in you. And what has defeated you in your past does not get to define you in your future. This is a place where those who have fallen do not get forgotten or ignored but rather restored to the life that Jesus has called them to live. This is a place where anyone, I mean anyone who has fallen can rise up and still become who Jesus has called you to be. So once again, thank you. Because without you, none of this would be possible. We've seen so many incredible things take place so far and all of us know that the best really is yet to come. Thank you. Let's be seated and let me pray and we got something special to finish out the service with. Father, thank you for creating an environment where people, all people are not pushed 
down. But Jesus, we can rise up into the people that you've called us to be. God, as we celebrate what you've done in this place over the past two years, may we celebrate even more what you've done in our hearts. May we celebrate the the past and look forward to the future knowing that you are so good. And God, you have amazing things in store. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jesus, that you bring ashes and you turn them into beauty. God, thank you so much for the gifts that you have given us. God, thank you so much for how each person here today, God, can know for a fact they are loved and forgiven by your mercy your grace we don't get the judgment that we 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 deserve heads bowed and eyes closed right now i want you to just pause for a minute if you're a christian celebrate the work that jesus has done in you because it would i don't want us to celebrate the church and miss what jesus is doing inside each one of us if you've been that person that has felt held back for so long Just hear him speak. I took that out to your life. He knew what we were going to do before we were born. When we prayed to receive Christ, sin is gone. He took it out. If you're here today and you've never prayed to receive Christ, just by asking him to come into your life, he'll take out everything that's wrong and he'll give you everything that's right if you want to receive Christ and you're in this room or you're watching online today I want you to just pray right where you're sitting just right, just in your heart just say Jesus Christ I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sin and right now Jesus I receive you into my life I surrender everything. In Jesus' name, with his still bowed and eyes still closed all over the room, if you just prayed to receive Christ, if, you ju- if you're in the room, would you hold your hand up for a second and just leave it up? Just leave it up so I can pray with you. If you're online, you can do the hand raise emoji like always, and just so we can pray with you. Father, I want to thank you for the people that you have saved today. I pray that they would walk out of this place knowing, God, that you took out everything that was wrong and you put in everything that was right. I pray, Father, for the people in this room, the lost and the broken, and for those who feel like somehow, God, they don't fit into your kingdom. God, we would be reminded that we are forgiven and that we are free and that in you we can live an abundant life. An abundant life isn't just for some people. It's for all people who call you Lord. Jesus, may you have more and more and more of us as we walk and surrender to you, knowing, Jesus, that you are good, knowing that you have greater plans, and believing with all of our hearts that in you the best really is yet to come. We love you, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Everybody that agreed said,
Amen. Thank you so much for coming to church today. Can't wait to see y'all back here next Sunday. God bless.